I wanted to start by saying that Aaron and I really love you guys. And I hope that this comes out as I share this morning, but there are not many churches or groups that we visit or speak with or share with that we feel half as at home with as we do with you. Every time we come here, we feel like we're a part of your family, and we feel loved and appreciated more than you guys can imagine. And when we talk about you guys to different people, we always say that you guys make us feel more special than than any church we know. So thank you, And, and it's really a pleasure to be here, and we are praying for you guys and excited about what God's doing. I wanted to talk about how God loves doing big things with small things. Does that make sense? Loves doing big things with small things. I was talking to a man this past week, and he says, don't you know, he's an older man, but he said, don't you know that if I was a believer, that I would be one of the best leaders? I would be like the Apostle Paul. Can't you see what God would do with me if only I was truly a believer? I I, I was very blunt with this man, but I said, honestly... You have nothing to offer God. <laughs> you don't. And he is kind of a, a leader. He's done some big things. But I said, you, none of us have anything to offer to God. We come to God empty-handed, realizing that we're nothing. And we're very small. And then God, when we're small, uses us. But when we're big, he doesn't. And a great example of this is the story of Gideon, guys. And this is going to relate to your church in just a minute here. But in Judges 6 through 8, you guys know the story of Gideon. In Judges 6, the Midianites have been oppressing the Israelites for seven years. They've been devastating them. And the Israelites were praying, God, save us from the Midianites. And in chapter 6, God comes to Gideon and he says, you, this little peasant, you're the one that I want to use to deliver Israel. And what does he say? I'm strong enough. I can do that. No, because not me, God. Why? I'm nothing. I'm way too small. He doubts God. He even puts God to the test because he really does not want to take this challenge that God's called him to. And so Gideon prepares. He finally uh, takes God up on his challenge or on his command, I should say. And, and he has 32,000 men with him. They're still outnumbered. The, the Midianites have over 100,000 men. So they're still very outnumbered. But he, he takes God up on, on this command. And then God pulls a really peculiar maneuver. God does something bizarre. And he tells Gideon in Judges 7-2, The people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. For Israel would become boastful, saying, My own power has delivered me. And then, see, so God, God says to Gideon, 32,000, even though you're outnumbered 4 to 1, it's too many. Because you guys would think it's your own power that caused this thing to happen. So, so what does God do? He starts <laughs> cutting it down, right? Guys, he cuts it down to 10,000, and then he cuts it down to 300. Okay? So he, he cuts off more than 99% of the army. He says, okay, I can, I can use 300 men to deliver Israel from 135,000 soldiers. Okay, he chooses to use a very small thing to do a very big thing. And the reason he tells us in Judges 7-2 is so that nobody gets the glory but him. Nobody but him. And that was the reason that he used the small to do the big. They were outnumbered 450 to 1. Gideon and his men were outnumbered 450 to 1. And God delivered them. God destroyed 135,000 Midianites and delivered Israel from their oppressor. He did a very big thing with a very small thing. God loves doing big things with small things so that he can claim the glory. And this is how it relates to the church. You're kind of a small church here. We're kind of a small ministry on campus. We're not huge. And I was thinking about what does God have with small ministries and small churches? What's his plan? And I realized that Oftentimes, I'm concerned with becoming a big ministry. Don't we feel like that? 
We think, wouldn't it be good if we had 200 people here on a Sunday morning? Wouldn't it be good if we had half of Ignacio here? Wouldn't it be good if all of Fort Lewis was coming to our weekly meetings? That's how I can tend to think. And I think sometimes that I miss the great things that God wants to do with us as a small group on campus. And I hope that you guys won't miss what he's doing here. Because, again, we think you guys are one of the most special churches we know. And you guys have something going here that not many people have. And I know a lot of people that have left church because they never got what you guys have here. They never felt like a part of a family. They never felt the love that so many of you guys have and experience right here in this family. And it's something special. So the example most apparent to me about God wanting to do big things with small things is the local church. God, God created the local church to do big things. It's his body on this planet working in the power of his spirit. George Barna, he does all the different statistics, the Christian statistics that you read all the time. He says that the average church in America has fewer than 100 people. Isn't that interesting? The average church in America has fewer than 100 people. The thing in my mind that it crystallizes down to is that we can become so concerned with becoming bigger that we forget to experience the joy of what God has made us right now. And what he's doing in us right now as a body. And what I've said a few times is, in our ministry, I want to be more concerned with testimonies than attendance. I want to be concerned with what God is doing in individual lives. And I don't want that to ever be less important than how many people are coming to our events. Because if God is working in lives, those are the people that are going to end up changing this world for him, right? Those are the people that are going to go on and make a difference. So maybe even if there weren't 100 students at our meeting... But somebody on that campus is growing and being discipled and being taught how to make disciples that make disciples. They're being taught that multiplication. They're going to go on and make a difference for Christ, and that's what's truly important. So anyway, I think as we think about growth, God is obviously in the process of growing this church and growing different ministries. I got the the email from Frank about six people being baptized a couple weeks ago. I was so excited for you guys. Okay? Now, God is growing this church, but right now, he's also doing great things in you as a small body. Now, I wanted to quote the Dalai Lama. I've never read him nor quoted him in any church, so this is kind of weird. But I heard this at a leadership meeting. And he said, if you think the small is insignificant, try spending a night alone in a room with a mosquito. Okay? (laughs) It's true. It's kind of a funny quote. It's probably the last time I'll quote the Dalai Lama. But it's true, right? A little thing can have a big impact. And sometimes we forget that and we think, oh, we're small, so what can God do with us? We're way too small. And what happens when we're too focused on becoming a bigger church versus realizing what God is already doing right now, right here, is not good. What can happen is we get unmet expectations that lead to frustration, right? I've seen this in our ministry the year before Aaron and I joined staff. There were over 150 people one time at our weekly meeting, and 67 people came to Christ that year. Over 70 were being discipled, and we thought, man, it's going to be awesome. That next year, we had the hardest year that we've ever had in ministry. We went down less than half of our size the previous year. And all this stuff happened, and it was really, 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 really hard for us to endure. But we kept being faithful and just keeping our eyes on Christ. And I look at the people that were students then, and a couple of those... You guys met Ronnie last year here, and a few others like him have now gone into full-time ministry around the planet. One is in Africa and in Gambia in a Muslim country. Ronnie's out in San Francisco starting a church there. Now, those students, they were being grown in this time where our ministry was shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. 
And it, my expectations were, God, why isn't it getting bigger and bigger and bigger, right? So my expectations were unmet. And that caused a lot of pain, frankly, and a lot of frustration because what I expected God to be doing wasn't happening. But now, in retrospect, I realize God was changing people and developing people that he could use for the rest of their lives to serve him. And no doubt, as he's drawing you here right now, the same thing is happening here right now. There are people being developed and grown and changed okay, to be able to be the people that he's called you to be. What happens a lot of times in big churches is you get a superficial facade, right? And that drives people away. So many young people are looking for authentic relationships. They're looking for authentic community where they can relate and where people are actually going to take an interest in them. And when you show up at a place with several hundred people or several thousand, you don't get that kind of attention necessarily. I'm not saying that all big churches are bad at all. Some are great. And some of them have learned how to to really reach out to people in a real way in those places. But here, every time I come here, I feel loved. And I feel authentically loved. And I know Aaron does too. And I want to thank you guys for that. And I want to encourage you that that is what the body of Christ is supposed to be. That's what, that's what people are drawn to. That true acceptance that they're not necessarily going to find in some huge group. Large crowds hinder fellowship and participation. Maybe you guys have been to a place where it's just a huge, huge group. But nobody gets to participate. It's almost like a spectator event where you just go and watch but here, every time I come, somebody different is, is praying. Somebody different is leading the praise time. Somebody different. Ralph, you did an awesome job this morning. Okay? And all of you guys, Dean, I remember times where you got injured back here building on this church. All of you are able to contribute in different ways. You're all part of this body. Remember in Romans 12 where he talks about the body where everyone is contributing. That really happens here in a way that it might not in some big, big church. So large churches can also quickly become so big and strong that they almost don't need God. They don't necessarily do this, but Aaron and I spoke at a church down in Houston five years ago, I think. We spoke very briefly. This church had like 14,000 people in it. Okay? And I asked, what's the missions budget every year? They said the missions budget every year is $40 million. (laughs) Okay, praise God for that. But, do you guys remember this ranch that we were trusting God to do a miracle for last year? What, what if our budget was $40 million? That's nothing. We wouldn't have had to trust God. Just write the check, right? But see, when we're small, like we are, God has to prove himself. And he has to do things that only he can do. So nothing against that church. That's great that they're sending $40 million away. But I love the fact that we get to be dependent on him right now. And I love that so much. Okay? So with all that in mind, big churches aren't bad. And small churches aren't always perfect. But more often than not, guys... God chooses to use small groups rather than large groups. That's why most churches in America have fewer than 100 people. I don't think that's an accident, and I don't think it's because they have bad pastors. I think that's part of God's plan, is to keep those bodies small and authentic and real, where you can really participate and grow together and become a strong family that reaches a community. See, a small church can reach a community in a way that nobody else can. If you're just this mega church in Durango, we don't have any, but pretend there was... How is this neighborhood in Ignacio going to get met? Maybe by some big event or something. But you guys right here, everybody on this block knows, oh yeah, that time that we didn't have groceries, they bought me groceries. That time that I needed help getting to work, they drove me to work. I remember that one time we were here, this gentleman walked in, just needy, and you guys all had groceries for him. The community notices those things. You are the body that God put here to reach this city and this community. You couldn't be better equipped to do that. And God has made you guys who you are for that. 
Okay, so with that in mind, remember God loves doing big things with small things. He wants to do huge things with you guys here. God has always used the small to do the great so that only he would be glorified. Remember Jonathan and his armor bearer outnumbered 10 to 1? And Jonathan says, let's go and defeat these guys. God gives them into our hands. Nobody can stop them. Even though we're small, God can do something great. Remember David and Goliath. Means all through the Bible we have stories of very small and humanly insignificant people accomplishing great things because God did it that way so that only he would be glorified. Jesus did this too. Remember he changed the whole world with 12 men. I was reading Master Plan of Evangelism, which is actually where we got the name for our ministry, a few years back. And as I was reading through it, it was so encouraging. He makes this point that Jesus would flee the crowds to stay with a small group and with a few men. And if you look at it, it's true. In Matthew 14 and 15, in Matthew 14 and 15, three different times Jesus leaves multitudes to get away with his disciples and be alone with them. And then the multitudes keep finding him. The first time he ends up feeding 5,000. Then they find him again, and then he feeds 4,000, okay? But the point is, is that he was leaving the big masses to be with just a few people where they could really grow and that those people could then become who he wanted to change the world. He was getting away from the megachurch to be the small church, to really invest in those lives and to really, to really put his life into their lives. And two points stick out to me from that passage, guys, and I hope this encourages you. First of all, he used two fish, right, and five loaves to feed 5,000, so he used a very small thing to do a great thing. And then a chapter later, he uses seven loaves and a few fish to feed 4,000. So, he, again, he's using something very small to do something very great. And at the same time, guys, the thing that sticks out to me is that he was eager to get away from the big group to be with the small group, right? So that he could invest in those men who would then change the world. And as I look around here, I want to encourage you guys so much today not to think, oh, we're not that great of a church because we're not as big as maybe some other church. I want you guys to realize he's doing something really special here. And he's making you guys very special people that he can use to change this world for him. And that's part of his plan. Jesus did this in many other instances. In Matthew 3, he withdrew with his disciples. In Luke 5, it says he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Okay? In Luke 9 and John 11, he withdrew alone with his disciples. And then one of my favorites is John 6, where the Israelites are coming to forcefully make him their king. And he withdraws away to a lonely place. He just gets away with his disciples. Can you imagine if the city of Ignacio came in here this morning and said, We want your church to run the city. You're like, no, no, we need to get away alone and connect with each other. See, the point isn't just to be like a fishbowl and only us and nobody else, but the point is to focus on what God is doing so he can grow you as he wants. And you know, he'll do that in the right time, and he'll do what he wants with you guys, but it is so special what he's doing right now. Okay, God still uses the small to do the great. You guys remember D.L. Moody? One of the greatest evangelists in the history of our nation started the Moody Bible Institute, which has sent missionaries all over the planet. In fact, one of our staff members was trained there. So uh, they've directly influenced our ministry. But he was a poor shoes salesman. Worked for his uncle, I guess, that was a shoe salesman. And here's the deal. When he came to his pastor as a shoe salesman, this is the quote that his pastor had to say about him. He said, I can truly say, and in saying it, I magnify the infinite grace of God, that I have seen few persons whose minds were spiritually darker than was his when he came into my Sunday school class. This guy was not a spiritual giant. He was not a very significant person. And he came 
and he realized how empty he was, God radically saved him, and then God used him, just an ordinary man, to do great things for him, because his heart was in the right place. You guys remember Henrietta Mears? Maybe you've heard of her. She led Bill Bright to Christ, who became, as far as I know, probably the greatest evangelist in the history of the world. Billy Graham is right there with him, but Bill Bright individually, through the ministry that God gave him, was able to expose over one billion people to the gospel. That's unreal. Through the Jesus film, which you guys have been a part of, and through many other avenues. Not only did she lead Bill Bright to Christ, but she also discipled Bill Bright as a Sunday school teacher. Not the highest position in most people's minds, right? But she also was able to disciple Billy Graham in that same place. Two of the greatest ministers in history were trained under one humble woman, Henrietta Mears, who most people would have considered a small woman. I mean, in in the world's eyes, she was not very huge. But she was willing to trust God. And God used her, even though she's not famous right now, to influence the world in a greater way than I can imagine by, by investing in those two men. Okay, so God still uses the small to do the big. And the small church is important. I don't want you guys to ever think that the small church is not as important as the big church. But the small church, guys, is so significant and so important. 2 Corinthians 12.9 tells us that God shows his power when we are weak, right? It says that his power is made perfect in our weakness. That's what he told Paul when Paul was praying that he would remove the thorn from his flesh. He said, my power is made perfect in your weakness. And even when we're weak... I can't go spend a million dollars. I can't go rally 10,000 people for a cause. In the world's eyes, I might be seen as weak. But see, God can do what he wants in and through each of us when we're in that place. And 1 Corinthians one twenty seven says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Okay, And he chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So he's chosen to use small and seemingly insignificant things to do great things. The deal is, God desires to be glorified, and he often chooses to do that through using small churches. He often does. And you are a special church, guys. When we come here, we see authentic relationships. All you guys love each other in here so much. And you've accepted Aaron and I in as if we'd been in the church since you guys first started. It blows my mind how well you've treated us and how special you've been to us and how much you've made us feel at home. Even when we had our baby last year, you guys threw the shower of all history and we couldn't even make it because the delivery was happening. But uh, honestly, you guys blessed our socks off. This is what God meant when he meant the body of Christ. Authentic love for each other. Remember what Jesus said in John 17? And you guys are that example to us and I think to everybody around here in this city. You all get to participate. You're all active members of this body. Justin, if you decided tomorrow that you're never coming back to this church, this church would suffer. See, you guys are active parts of this body. And the body would not be the same without you. If you were in some mega church somewhere and you said, I'm leaving, they'd be like, okay, we got 14,000 others that could replace you. And again, not to say that's bad, but this is really good too. You guys get to be an active part of the body that God made here. Okay, and finally, you are the perfect fit to reach Ignacio for Christ. Everybody around here knows you. Everybody gets to see your love for them. I've heard story after story after story of people whose needs were met by you guys right here in this church. You guys are who God has chosen to reach this city. That's why God put you here. In Acts 17, 26-27, it says, From one man he made every nation of men 
that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. I love Acts 17, 26, and 27. The places and the times that you live were chosen by God. Presby, you guys aren't in Colorado Springs on accident. Dean and Mary, you guys aren't here in Ignacio slash Bayfield on accident. Each of you were put here for this time and place by God alone and by His plan and His design. The strategy of the history of the world ties into where you're at right now. And it's not an accident, Ralph and Gail, that God put you here and gave you this ranch. It's not just, ah, that's the way we're going to live and that's what we want to do. God has a design in it and a strategy to reach this place. Because, see, that's what it says in 26, that he's determined the times and places that we should live. Then in 27 it says, so that men might reach out and find him. See, you're here so that God can reach out to Ignacio and so that people in this city will reach out and find him. It's not an accident. It's all part of his plan. And I want to encourage you with that. Now remember, I think I share this verse every time I speak anywhere, because I don't ever want to forget it. And so often, Satan and the world and my own flesh try to lie to me and tell me this verse isn't true. But Matthew 9:37 tells us that the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. So the harvest around you that God's put you in is ripe, and the workers are few. And you guys get to be workers in this harvest. It's not an accident. And as the harvest is ripe... You get to work in that harvest and see God produce fruit. Remember John 15, 16, where he says that it will produce fruit in you, and it will be fruit that will last. And that's part of the idea, guys, is that you're not here just for yourselves, but you're here to reach this community. Like Dean, call me up, uh, what was it, last year, saying we have this plan to reach the natives in Ignacio. We have all these Native American Gospel of Johns, and we're going to reach out. And the city wouldn't let you. But think about that strategy. That was so cutting edge and so exactly, I think, how God wants to be using you as a church to reach this community. The harvest is so right, guys. It is so right. And he's looking for more workers, and you're the workers that he's put here. You may feel outnumbered. Do you guys ever feel outnumbered when you, when you sit here in church? It's just us. What can we do, right? I feel like that on campus. And I could be real tempted to think, God, who am I? I'm, I can't reach this campus. I'm way too small. But remember, when we're outnumbered, that's kind of how God works. <laughs> right? You're outnumbered three or four to one, and you go, that's not good enough. I want you to be outnumbered 450 to one, like with Gideon. So even though you guys might feel small and insignificant as far as reaching this community, the odds couldn't be more in your favor in God's mind. This is how God chose to work things out. You're who he chose to have here. And you're the body that he's choosing to use to do great things in this city. So, 1 Samuel 14.6, going back to that story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. Jonathan tells his armor bearer, as they're looking at pretty much insurmountable odds, and he says, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Right? Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. So, you might be few in number, you might not have 200 people here, but nothing can stop God from using you to reach this city if you're willing to be used. So with that in mind, how do I reach this city? I want to give you guys some encouragements here. This is what we evaluate our ministry on every single week. In our staff meetings every week, we, we go back to what we call the funnel diagram. And I'll just, I'd love to have more time to show you how the funnel diagram works, but it's pretty simple really. The number one thing we want to do at the top is meet people. And every week we'll ask, how are we doing meeting new people? And we try to be creative. What you guys wanted to do with getting these Gospels of John out to all these Native Americans down, that's part of meeting people. You have to walk up to somebody and meet them and hand them something, right? 
Uh, so meet people. Share the gospel with them. Guys, I, I love Pastor Frank's heart for the gospel and for God's word. Share the gospel with them. And then follow up with them personally. Remember Pastor Frank Justin working with you as you grew in your faith and helping you understand the Word of God and helping you grow and make decisions and take steps in your faith. See, as you guys follow that simple method of meeting people, sharing the gospel with them, and then individually helping them grow in their faith, you're building people up in such a way that they grow like God wants and they can become the spiritual multipliers that He's called them to be. And this is the greatest context for it to happen right here. Okay, so God loves doing big things with small things. Luke 16.10 says that before we can be made faithful with much, he wants us to be faithful with little. And what I love is, this is something that God got a hold of Aaron and I with like two years ago. Being faithful with little wasn't a stepping stone to being faithful with more. God wanted me to be faithful with little for the sake of the little. And I think that as my heart and my energy is poured out into what God has given me today, God blesses me and gives me joy in that. And he does the same with the people that I'm working with. And he really blesses what he's doing. So your weaknesses, failures, and inabilities, both individually, guys, and as a church, present no challenge to God. Your willingness does. If you guys are willing to be used, God is going to use you in this city. And I know you're willing to be used, so I know he's going to use you in this city, right? As long as we're willing, he can do great things in each one of us and as the body. And 1 Corinthians 2.9 is a promise. And I want to leave you with this. This is a great promise. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has any mind conceived what God has in store for those who love him. So as you guys think about who you are as a church here, get ready to see God do great things. And I want to encourage you that you guys truly are the type of church that God has called us to be. A church that loves him and loves each other and makes a difference where we're at.